Good afternoon and welcome to Revenue Marketing Television, the video channel dedicated to thought leadership from the world's top marketing executives. I'm your host, Jeff Pedowitz, President and CEO of the Pedowitz Group. Today's guest is Mike Volby. Mike is a successful entrepreneur and startup executive with expertise in marketing, business development, strategy, and lead generation for cloud, SaaS, and B2B software. Mike's currently a member of the board of directors for both Attend and Repsley, and previously he was chief marketing officer for HubSpot, where he joined as employee number five and grew the company to over 900 people and from about a dozen beta customers to over 15,000 in over 90 countries and $100 million plus in revenue. Mike, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's, this is going to be fun. So um, HubSpot, what a ride. What was that like growing a marketing organization from inception to the time that you left? Uh, I mean, so many stories, very, very, very crazy uh, from literally being the first one in and rolling up your sleeves and doing, I mean, every little thing that needed to get done to, you know, toward the end, I mean, with a team of about 100 people, it's um, the, the challenges are very, very different. So I think it was a very, very interesting time to be able to see all the different challenges you have and all these different sort of sizes and shapes and scales of an organization. And I think one thing that I, I found was interesting was we were growing so fast that at times, the biggest challenge we had was the fact that we were growing so fast that it meant you were trying to hire people so quickly and so many people on the team were so new that they weren't well-trained or well-versed in what we did. And in some ways, growth itself can be a challenge that you need to overcome. So it sounds like, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with agile marketing. It, it seems like you must have had to apply that just about every day. So how, what kind of strategic approach did you take to addressing that growth and building your marketing team? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, we actually did implement uh, relatively strict agile marketing uh, relatively early on. Once the team got to be bigger than a few people, we started to feel like we had some communication challenges with the rest of the organization and, and the ability to kind of execute quickly like a startup, but also have a lot of transparency around what we were doing and what we weren't doing and giving people on the team a, a clear understanding of what the things, the priorities were that they should be working on. So yeah, we were relatively strict agile for a while. And then as we grew, we sort of allowed the individual managers of the teams to decide how they ran their team. Some of them remained relatively strict agile. Others kind of um, evolved a little bit and kind of had some different methodologies for running their team. So uh, I'd say overall the theme was over the you know eight or nine years was that we tried to have a culture that empowered individual people to have a lot of ownership over what they were doing uh, and really um, didn't tell people so much what to do as we told them what the goals were and generally what direction to go in, but it was really up to them to figure out how to do it. So we tried to have a, a high amount of autonomy as much as we could within the, or, within the organization and allow, allow people to sort of do things on their own way. Was most of your team based in, essentially in Boston or were they distributed? Yeah, for a long time, the whole team was in was in Boston. Um, as we started to grow internationally, then we had, had more folks uh, abroad. So we opened an office in Dublin, started having some folks there, uh, folks in Sydney as well um, after a while. So it started to become more global, which posed a new set of challenges in terms of growth because you need to worry about communication and collaboration among all the different time zones. But for a long time, we were pretty fortunate that almost everybody was in one place, which definitely made uh, that, that team bonding and that communication easier. So one of the things that HubSpot's really well known for is content, you know, just generating a lot of good thought leadership and practical uh, two guides as it, it fed inbound marketing. 
how did you guys approach that? And, and especially once you grew so quickly, how did you achieve such good content at scale? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, for the early days, it was, you know, the, the co-founders and myself that actually did most of the blogging for the first while. Uh, and so it was built into the ethos and sort of the culture of the company that content was very important. It's obviously a core part of the, the inbound marketing strategy, which was core to HubSpot, right? So it's we felt like we would be very ungenuine if we were you know, doing a lot of uh, cold calling and spamming in order to get people to buy from HubSpot, right? So we needed to sort of be true to who we were. As we started to scale, there's definitely that set of challenges where if it's not the founders writing the content, you know, is it really any good? Um, and I think what we sort of discovered over time was that if we hire the right people, give them the right training, uh, that we can keep the content, the quality, con the, the level, the quality bar for the content high enough um, that we can make it scale and make it work. Um, we also started to, as you start to scale content, we started, started to create some new channels. So we started to create a, you know, different, uh, we had a podcast, uh, it was kind of aimed at a little bit different audience, a little bit more executive audience. We created a sales blog that was targeted more towards sales teams and sales managers. Um, and so different types of content that, that, that allow you to sort of scale content at a much bigger level. So it's not just about kind of one persona, one channel, it can be multiple channels, multiple personas, and that, that helps you scale things as well. So one of the things that HubSpot, uh, has is, is a pretty big channel. So a lot of resellers and, and partners. Yeah. How did you work with those partners from a marketing perspective? Did they help generate content? Did they just resyndicate what you guys produced? I mean, how did you incorporate them on a worldwide basis into your marketing plans? Yeah, that's a good question. And a lot of people that have a channel see channel as more of a sales thing than a marketing thing. But you're absolutely right. There's a huge uh, amount of influence that those folks can have. So we would definitely enable them with a lot of um, uh, marketing materials and content and things like that that they could use locally to either run small events or things like that um, and try to empower them with more of that stuff. Uh, but beyond that, we actually invited them all to be guest contributors to our blog. Uh, we would actually reject some of the content if it wasn't good enough. We didn't feel like it sort of passed our bar. Uh, and then the flip side is they would also syndicate out a lot of our content, share a lot of the content on social, things like that, because it was definitely a, a very symbiotic relationship. When HubSpot did well, they did well and vice versa. Uh, and so it was really a combination of both things, of us trying to help them get more exposure for their content and them trying to help us get more exposure for our content. So it was definitely a little bit of both. So from a, a technical perspective, you know, a lot of people talk now about stackies, you know, if you follow MarTech or yeah. uh, we would call it revenue marketing architecture, but um, I obviously used HubSpot, but what other components did you use? I mean, what was in your mix and how did you guys leverage technology to scale as you grew? Yeah. So, the, I mean, the mainstays were definitely HubSpot and Salesforce. Uh, and I think those end up being something like that ends up being the mainstays for a lot of companies. Um, over time, we definitely added some other things. You know, we had done a lot of our lead scoring actually in-house with some MIT-based algorithms that we had developed in collaboration with a couple people that had worked there. So, uh, But then over time, we actually ended up using uh, Infer for lead scoring. Um, we used, uh, for a time, we used um, a couple different social products. Um, what else? There were a lot of sort of like small things kind of floating around here and there. Uh, we started using, um, you know, obviously on the sales side, there were a number of other tools like LinkedIn Sales Navigator helps people have a better understanding of the whole organization. Uh, we ended up, uh, we started with some other things, but then we ended up using the HubSpot sales products there as well. Um, 
I would say we were probably a little less prone to getting a lot of different technology, and it was more about um, having fewer things in a less complicated system so we could move quickly. I think there's other people that maybe have a little different bias of like trying lots of different tools and things like that. We probably used maybe a little bit fewer than some others, A, because we needed to and wanted to be sort of the lead users of the HubSpot system. So if HubSpot had something similar to something, we would use the HubSpot version and obviously push in the product team to make it better and add the features that we wanted. Um, so I think we, we had a kind of probably a couple like unique biases there. But uh, yeah, in fact, like on this topic, there's a, there's a startup I just heard about called uh, Cabinet M that I think allows you to kind of figure out your configuration of your, uh, your marketing stack and kind of compare yours versus some others. So you're, you're right. A lot of people, it's like, what is your technology alignment with it marketing? I think is an interesting topic. So as you hired all those people, did you find that they, their skills needed to change or you need to bring them up to speed? You did say that one of the challenges was just getting them familiar with HubSpot and culture, but what about the skills of a modern marketer? I mean, were you, what, how did you approach, I guess, getting all these people? What did you look for, I guess, in uh, personality and attributes? And then how did you train them in a systematic, ongoing way? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think one of the things that happens as you grow very quickly is that um, you end up starting in the very beginning, you kind of hire a few more generalists that can kind of do a lot of things pretty well. And then as you start to scale and the team starts to become a lot bigger, I mean, we would have people that only did short form content, like only did blog articles, right? And then other people that did longer form, like offers and PDFs and uh, and things like that. And other people that only did nurturing for a certain segment or things like that. So uh, over time, you end up hiring a lot more specialists. Uh, and so I think in the beginning, you're looking for kind of a broad-based set of skills toward the, as you grow a lot more, you might be looking for a very deep level of expertise in one specific area. Um, and if you put those two together, one thing we did look for was sort of like T-shaped people. So we like people to have a deep level of expertise in one area, but also some sense of understanding of all of marketing. Um, and then beyond that, I think we probably looked in general for people that were very, like a little bit more on the quantitative end. And so we wanted even, you know, just a pure content person or a pure PR person to actually be relatively well versed in what a funnel looks like, how the different stages of the funnel relate to each other. And we would ask them questions about that. I mean, we would ask about, okay, you know, take this sample funnel with these fake numbers and like what what do you think about this company what's good and bad about it how would you affect that we wanted that sort of revenue marketer that sort of cmo level thinking to exist in really everyone on the team uh and so that we would ask them about those things specifically that's good that's really good advice so obviously a lot of success tell us about a failure what what went wrong and what did you learn from it um, I mean, we did lots of things wrong. I think one of the things that we actually did well was create a culture that allowed a lot of people to have individual authority. I mean, the you know VPs and CMO approved very little that went out the door. It was really about getting the right people in the room and empowering those teams to do a lot of things. There was one thing we did that was just sort of an abysmal failure. We did um, uh, it was called the an ARG, ARG alternate reality game. And if you remember the movie, The Game with Michael Douglas, yes. um, he basically, yeah, so he basically like, you know, his, his brother or something hired some people to like take him through this like, you know, vir not virtual, like real reality, but it was a game, right? And um, and this, you know, crazy movie that, that happens. But we tried to create one of those for our for our customers, for our users. And um, and we had somebody come in and hide all these encoded um, messages around different parts of the web and like audio things. They had to figure out how to listen to backwards and like different clues within certain images and stuff like that. And this whole like puzzle that they needed to figure out. And this is back when we had this uh, online training thing that we did called Inbound Marketing University. And we told people, oh, Inbound Marketing University has received a lawsuit 
it has to be shut down right now until we figure out the lawsuit. You can help us do decode who's behind the lawsuit by, you know, following some of these clues. And there were like four or five people that were like on Twitter and like could not have been more excited about this. But then we got like 50 emails from people being like, I need to pass this class by tomorrow because my boss told me, why did you take it down? <laughs> it was like, oops. <laughs> so we thought it was going to be this fun thing. And like a few people really did engage uh, and loved it. But more people were just like, I do not find your game funny. I'm just trying to get my job done. Like, can we please move on from this? And we were like, oh, shit. So rather than take it down for a full week, we ended up putting it back up the next day, apologizing and, you know, um, and left the clues up so the people that had gotten engaged in the game could kind of finish it. But that, that, was, that did not go well at all. We had to completely reverse stance within like 24 hours very quickly and then apologize for it. It was kind of... It was kind of bad. But again, if you don't have a culture where you're willing to try things like that, like you're never going to do anything that's cool and interesting. That's so funny. I mean, sometimes I guess, you know, some, it's sometimes the simple things, right? I mean, <laughs> we, we yeah, people just, I just want those classes up, you know, don't take them down. Yeah. So I imagine through all, all, that, all that growth, um, you had a lot of data. And, and what was your approach to managing it, harnessing it, keeping it optimized? Yeah, I mean, so... I wasn't moving enough to keep this light timer on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so clearly around data, we, I mean, we had tons of data. I think we hired very data-centric people across the whole organization. Um, in terms of keeping things organized, I think, again, part of it was we tried to keep our marketing stack relatively simple. So we didn't have a lot of pieces of things interacting with each other and things like that. Um, so we tried to keep it relatively simple. Um, and I don't know, like we didn't have like massive like data cleansing things that we would do. We definitely had like a very small, you know, one person, then two people kind of marketing ops team that was sort of, you know, working some things like that. But we, you know, for us, um, I think maybe partly because we, we had such a large customer base. I mean, we, you know, it's, it's hundreds or thousands of new customers signing up a month. Um, it's, uh, it, and it's more about managing things at scale it's not about every single date piece of data being completely perfect because, you know, if you're looking at, you know, doing some lead analysis or whatever, you, know, you might have 50,000 new leads in a month. You don't need every single piece of data and every single one to be perfect because you're trying to extract sort of the broader trends. So, um, yeah, so I'd say, you know, basic kind of marketing ops kind of handiwork and, you know, um, blocking and tackling there. But I, I don't know that we were striving for perfect data 100% of the time. It was more about the volume for us. So for any subscription business, you're trying to do two things, right? Acquiring it new. And then um, keep your retention rates high. How did yeah. you balance out your marketing from constantly filling the top of the funnel and driving growth, and then lifecycle marketing, making sure people renewed and that your attrition was low? Yeah, I mean, as a, as an early startup, I mean that you know just getting new people to use your product ends up being I kind of, I think kind of a really important part of the story for a very long time, and it definitely was for us. Like it was definitely a HubSpot was a net new driven business for many many years. As you start to get larger, though, then the leverage that you can get from increasing retention rates tends to be a little bit bigger. We ended up starting what we called uh, internally was like a customer marketing effort. And that can kind of mean two things. It can mean more like advocate marketing, like using your customers for marketing, which we did. But that was not what we meant by this. What we meant was marketing to our customers to increase engagement, um, increase adoption of existing products, uh, increase renewal rates, and then also actually um, drive cross-sell and upsell to actually upsell them other products as well. And so we started to form a small team around that uh, that, that, that would actually create um, 
uh, basically like upgrade opportunities. So they would start to get customers to maybe do a trial of additional features or to try to drive more usage of a feature that they already had or things like that to tee the account management team up. It was almost like, you know, the marketing is the sales kind of interaction for net new became this marketing to account management interaction for, uh, for upsell and for attention. So we started to do some of that, but it was definitely, um, you know, it was, it was a relatively small team. I think it's probably three, four people, something like that right now that works on those types of things. Great. Uh, all, all good input. So uh, you've been doing a lot of things and now you're on a couple boards. So what advice would you give to a CMO that's beginning their journey? Um, yeah, gosh. I mean, I think the number one thing that I tell everyone is sort of getting into more of an executive level within marketing is um, keep the revenue side of the business going. And if you're doing that, then you have the luxury of doing everything else. You know, I always said that, you know, if I was, you know, Mark Robert led sales and HubSpot for a number of years, if I was hitting the lead goals and sales was doing well and Mark was happy, then I could go do pretty much anything else in marketing. I could do some crazy PR campaign, do some crazy events, do some crazy content, whatever it was. And when that stuff wasn't working well, when the revenue engine was broken, um, if I was doing anything else besides trying to fix that, you would get into trouble with the management team, right? So I think that's the number one piece of advice. That would be kind of like one definitely really, really big thing. Uh, the second thing would be that um, marketing is an awesome place to be today. Like it really is increasingly the focus point for many businesses as, you know, we move to much more of a subscription economy and tends to be small sales becoming much bigger sales. Marketing is becoming a bigger and bigger part of how companies grow. Um, and in many cases, actually the engine for growth at a lot of companies. So it's a, it's a really strong and important place to be. And I think you're much more able to become CEO and a board member having come out of marketing today than maybe any time in history. So I think it's a really good time to be there. Just make sure you're hitting your revenue goals. If you're doing that, then everyone's going to love you and you're going to be able to do whatever you want. So it's all about revenue, right? Yep, it is. <laughs> all right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being on the show today. As always, it's a pleasure. My pleasure. Glad we had a chance to chat. Thanks.